this morning we're going to attempt to sing a song. One of my favorite songs, not that I do it that well, but nonetheless, my, one of my favorite songs. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. allergies all morning. I don't have allergies too often, but this morning I woke up and sneezing and coughing and everything else. So, of course, that's not really an excuse. That's just what it usually happens. But anyway, it sure is good to be back in the pulpit of this church. Man, I've missed it. I wasn't sure they were going to let me come back after I was off for two or three weeks. And so it, I finally just snuck in and didn't tell them. So just anyway, but no, it's, uh, I appreciate the couple weeks off. We got to go see a visit a church that we'd been at up in Bonham, Texas. Good friends of ours, still to this day. Church is doing good. They said, "Tell everybody hi," and just uh, just a good time up there for a, a day. But I was anxious to get back and get back in the pulpit. So, I want to ask today at uh, one of my favorite books of the Bible. In fact, probably my favorite book in all the Bible is the Book of Romans. I just love the Book of Romans. It has so much. It, I mean, it tells you. If you want to know how to live the Christian life, that's the book you need to look at. 
But it will tell you what we're to do, how we're to do it, and how we're to love each other. But even more than that, it tells you how much God loves us. And that's what we're talking today about. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. I want to read this passage to you. As we, let's stand together as we honor God's, honor God's Word as we read together. Beginning in verse 31 of Romans chapter 9, we read these words. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril? Or said, as it is written, for your sake we, shall, we are all killed, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to the slaughter. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Now watch this last line shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Lord God, we thank you, Lord, for this day you've given us. But Lord, most of all, we thank you for this word that you've given us. Because Lord, in that passage that we just read, there is nothing that can stop us from doing what you desire us to do. Lord, as we look at this passage today, just open our hearts and our minds to realize that God knows exactly what each one of us needs. He knows exactly what our church needs. Lord, it just, there are so many things covered in this passage we just read. That's a promise to us that, Lord, we don't have to worry about anything. Because in Christ, we have all we'll ever need. Go with us now over the next few minutes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, if you were to ask probably the average person that knows the Bible, Bible a little bit, what is the greatest chapter in the Bible? And probably they'd use this verse, or a lot of them would anyway, would be described if that's the best verse in all the Bible. A lot of people have that opinion. And I, I don't disagree with it by any means. But Romans 8.28 is in the middle of a mountain range of great spiritual lessons, I guess the best way to put it. And it comes to verse 20, uh, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And it says this, that we all know this verse very well. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called or called according to His purpose. That's God's infallible promise or guarantee to us. We have a guarantee that God is going to finish what He started in your life and my life and each one of us. Now, that only depends upon us. We can do things to get out of that, obviously. But it hasn't been too long ago that I, I preached a subject on, uh, a message on God's incredible plan. And this just ties into that in, in an essence. Uh, those who foreknew, those who he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of the icon of his son, Jesus Christ. Think about those words. Let those words sink in just a moment. That's not me saying those words to you. That's God speaking to us. He says we have assurance. That's God's infallible guarantee. If you will just stay true, stay what you are, that will come to pass. Now, that's a tremendous blessing when you think about it. The last time we talked about God's incredible plan, those who He foreknew, those who He predestined, to be conformed to the likeness, the icon of His Son. That's what He's saying. He says, you can become in the likeness of Jesus Christ. That is awesome when you think about it. 
I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't compare myself too much to Jesus. I'm not a whole lot like him in a lot of ways. But yet, that verse and that passage tells us that we have the ability to God, through God's blessings, through God's guidance in us, that we can become, I'm going to use the phrase, like Jesus. Now, that's not completely true. So leave that a little bit flexible there for you. But it's, He called, He justified. Those He justified, He glorified. Guess who those are? You and I, if you've been called of God. If you've been called by God to become one of His children, you are the people that He's talking about. We are the people. We call ourselves Christians. Now, I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of Christians that don't act be Christians. I've seen a lot of Christians. In fact, yesterday morning we had our men's Bible study, or men's uh, breakfast and so forth, and I got to be the speaker. I guess when you're going crooked times and they'll want to be speakers or something. I don't know what it was. But, but I couldn't help but share about a friend of ours some years ago. It's been 20 years, 30 years ago now. But he was a music director in a church we were at. A good music director. But his life outside the church was not what it should have been. I said with the guys yesterday morning that I remember walking to a little convenience store one day just to pick up something. I don't know why. Picking up Pepsi-Cola probably. And it's, uh, if you don't drink Pepsi, you're not a young generation, so just to know that. But anyway, I walked in the store, and I heard the horse back in the back, and he was, this horse was chewing somebody out. And I thought, well, that voice sounds familiar. And I walked around the, around the aisles and so forth and walked back a little bit. I mean, he was chewing this young lady out pretty good. In fact, he was even cursing her. And as I walked around the corner, lo and behold, it was our music director. Now, I've got to share something with you. Stop right here and share something with you. Y'all probably do not know this, but I found out yesterday that our music director, our piano player, he's got some moves on the dance floor. I mean, I'm talking serious now. He was doing the twist as good as I ever tried to twist myself. So I just, just want to let y'all know that not only does he play a piano, he can screw the boot if he has to. So just <coughs> Anyway, let's get back to where I said we at here. But I remember some time ago, I saw a photo in a magazine, a photograph in a magazine. It was one of those photographs where it seemed like time stopped in the middle of this picture, you know, just as it reached that epic top. And what it was, it was the graduation service of the Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland, if I've got that right. Is that, that's where it's at, isn't it? Okay. It, uh, remember, I'm not a soldier. I just put this out there for you. But anyway, it was at the graduation service of the Naval Academy in Annapolis, uh, Minnesota, Maryland, where upon receiving their graduation, they stood up and every one of them took their caps and flung them in the air as high as it will go. And this cap, uh, this caption in this magazine was at the very pinnacle when the hats all went up. Before it started coming back down, somebody, a reporter, I suppose, snapped a picture at it. Of it. And it just, it was a beautiful picture. I mean, just, but I couldn't help but think that this picture captured those caps, hundreds of them, in the air. And at the right moment, that photographer snapped that picture, and it looked like these caps were just suspended in air, hanging there, nothing holding them up or anything else. Of course, if you'd taken the camera away, then they'd start coming down just pretty quick. But it, you could see the caps suspended in the air. And you can see the smiles on the, on the faces of these graduates as they just graduated and so, of the Naval Academy. And it was a beautiful picture. I couldn't help but think what a beautiful picture of enthusiasm and joy that is. I mean, these young men and women, I suppose, had flung their caps as high as they could in the, in the air. And just as they reached the, reached the pinnacle, a picture was taken. And it was a beautiful picture. All of these caps. You knew they were fixing to come back down. But it, I thought, about what a beautiful picture of enthusiasm and joy that is. 
If you could just grasp what God is trying to say to you here today, I believe you'd take your hat and throw it in the air. You don't do that because you've got a pretty low ceiling, but you know, you could do it. But it's, you'd shout for joy. If you just listen in a moment what this passage is saying, it gives us such of a promise, such of a guarantee that we have. This would be a tremendous point in our life when we come to realize that Jesus Christ loves us more than we even begin to realize how much He loves us. That's the point of this passage today. You'll again shout for joy. You might even do like David did and get up and dance. Now, we're not going to invite our piano player, but he'll take us up. No, I'm kidding. But he does scoot a boot pretty good, so I guess. But it, you might do like David did, just dance before the Lord. But that you would want to shout or do something because it's so exciting when you hear what God's saying to us today. How, when you understand how much God loves you, Look at it in the passage that we just read again. In fact, let's just, let's just read it again. It's, it's just worth that. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 39. Listen to the words of this again. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is, who is, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, it is also, has also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for each of us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or hell, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. Isn't that beautiful? That's for us, folks. You don't have to wonder about that. That's our verse. And God says nothing can separate you from the love of God. Dwell on that for just a moment. That's a powerful statement. That is something you need to really dwell on. I would encourage you, go back and read. If you haven't read Romans in a long time, go back and read. It is a book that just tells us, number one, how to live. Number two, how to be the Christians we need to be. Number three, how to be the church we need to be. It tells us so many things in that this short little passage that we're looking at here today. Romans 8, 31 and 39. Toss your hats into the air. There is nothing on earth that can separate you from the love of God. It doesn't matter what it is. In this passage, I want to call your attention to four questions. You may not have called them as did, but... But I want to call them to you again. We're going to answer these four questions today as we talk about God's inescapable love. Question number one. Let's get out of the way for just a minute. If you look at Romans chapter 8, 31, he says, Who can be against us? Well, that's a pretty good question for us. Who can stop us? Who can be against us? And the answer is, many try, but God is for us. Think about that. A lot of folks try to get us off the course. A lot of try, people try to stop this church from going forward. A lot of people try to hurt Christians. It doesn't matter. In fact, he writes, we have enemies, but who's, a, who's afraid of the big bad world? Because we've overcome the world through Christ. The Bible talks about how our flesh needs to stay crucified. We understand we can resist the devil and he will flee from us. We understand that. But the good news is God is for us, no matter what's going on. You know, there's a lot of Christians around this world today that are suffering right now. And it's, it's a very common thing. Christians are suffering. 
Don't be surprised when he comes to our door one of these days. Because it's going to happen. I'm not saying you're going to be put to death because you're a Christian. I don't know that. But we can suffer in many ways. We can be ridiculed. People do that all over the day. People can laugh at us. Oh, so you go to church. Isn't that nice? That little old Sunday school. Hope you enjoy it with all the rest of the kids. That's the way people look at it sometimes. And yet God says, don't worry about what they say. The love of God is inescapable. If God is for us, in the original language that means since God is for us or because God is for us, we never have to be afraid of anything. The world, the flesh, or the devil himself can kill us. Guess what? Satan is a defeated foe. We worry about him sometimes, but he has no power. Now, he's still alive and active on the world today. Absolutely. Look at Psalms chapter 27 and 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? We don't have to worry about being afraid or being fearful of things. Yes, bad things happen in this world. And it could happen to you one day. But we don't have to be afraid of it. Because God has already secured us a place if you're a child of God to be with Him one of these days. They may kill this body one day, but they can't stop God from loving us. It doesn't matter what they do to us. Yeah, they may put us in a ring like they did in the old times and have bulls that fight over us and tie us to the horns of a bull like they did. You won't believe if you go back and study early church history what some Christians went through to live the Christian faith. They were torched. Put on poles out in the king's garden. And at night they would light them on fire to serve as people as nightlights, I guess the best way to put it. Now that's torture. We haven't faced any of that. But don't think it isn't possible to face it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? No one. If we could just realize that we don't have to be afraid of that old bully down the road named Satan because we have a much bigger and stronger person on our side, God himself. We don't have to worry about what Satan's going to do to us. Can he do damage? Of course he can. Him and his demons. Him and his child of one. How do we know how much God is for us? Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he with him also freely give us? How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Did you hear that verse? Mark it down. From verse 32, He who did not spare His own Son, God gave us Jesus Christ, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He with Him also freely give us all things? You know what that all things means? Oh, you mean that means I can get me a new car next year, huh? No, that's not what it's talking about. He'll give me everything I need to live the Christian life. If I'll trust Him, if we'll depend upon Him, He will meet every need we have. Maybe not every want you have, but every need we have. God Himself. When God has already given you the best, He gave you His Son, He will willingly give you everything you need in life. You don't have to question God will give it to you. You say, well, what I need is a bigger bank account. No, you don't. You just think you do. And sometimes we get so wrapped up in the things we want that God can't meet our needs in life. When God has already given you the best, His Son, He will willingly give you everything you need to live the Christian life. Imagine one day that 
a husband was giving his wife a beautiful diamond necklace for the say Valentine's Day. Oh, she's so excited to get it. She opens up that box. It's beautiful. Diamonds just glistening. All that good stuff. But then the husband says, oh, she, she starts to put it back in the box and says, oh, that's such a beautiful little box. And the husband says, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't have the box. That's mine. Well, that's what it'd be like for God to give us Jesus Christ and not give us everything else we need. That box is worthless. Now that wife may like the box, and that guy may get in a whole lot of trouble for keeping the box. Probably would, in fact. But that box is not worthless. That diamond necklace inside there—that's what's valuable. See, God's already given us Jesus, the valuable gift. You don't think He'll give you what you need to go through life? Everything we need as you go through life. Oh, sweetheart, thank you so much. I know this is so expensive. Thank you. You know what, dear? I love the box too. And the husband says, No, no, no. You can't have that box. That's mine. I wanted the box. Isn't that ridiculous? That was fine. Number one, Judy would probably throw me the box right at my face and say, Get it out of here then. <laughs> Not really. I'm just teasing. He says, you can't have the box. I want the box for myself. The box is mine. That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? And that's how it is when God offers to give us what we need in life. And we're not ready for it. It'd be ridiculous. Everything else is worth, is so much less valuable than the Son, Jesus Christ. He willingly and graciously gives you all things. So question number one, who can oppose us? Many are going to try to, but God is for us. Romans 8.33 says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Here's the answer. Satan accuses, but God excuses. Satan accuses us all the time, but God excuses us. He loves us more than we'll ever know. He justifies. Now, let me tell you something about old Satan real quick. The very name Satan in Hebrew means slanderer. In fact, look at what the Bible says in Revelation 12.10. You can turn there if you want to. You don't have to. For the accuser of Satan of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. We don't have to worry about Satan anymore. Now, he's still free upon this earth, but God's got reins on him. He knows his days are numbered, and he's going to go and spend eternity in hell before very long. We don't have to worry about Satan. Satan accuses us all the time, but excuses. But God excuses. He forgives. He justifies. Again, the very name of Satan, Satan means the accuser of our brethren. Who accused them before our day and night, before us day and night, have been cast down, the Bible says. They think Satan is some guy in long red underwear and he runs around with a pitchfork and shoveling toes down in hell. That's not true. That's just a make-believe story. No, friend, Satan is not in hell now. One day he will be cast down to the bottomless pit forever and ever. You know where Satan is right now? I'm talking to you. Probably some of you who's whispering in your ear, you don't believe that nonsense, do you? You don't need that. Just think, you could be out beating the Memphis City restaurant right now. You don't need to listen to this. That's what Satan does to us all the time. You don't have to go by that Bible. That's an archaic book. Nobody believes that anymore. You're smarter than that. And before long, he gets some of us. Say, well, I don't believe in the devil. You tell him. You say, well, I'm telling But he's out there. Some people think that Satan is down in hell right now. No, friend, Satan is not in hell. But one day he will be into the bottomless pit forever and ever. 
You know where Satan is right now? He's talking to some of you as I speak. Right now. You say, well, what are you letting in here for? You stop him. I'm not going to him. <laughs> Satan is all around us, folks. His influence and everything else. Right now, he has access to all of us on earth. And he has access to God in heaven right now also. Let me give you an example of that. Job chapter 1. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But the Bible says God was in heaven and all the angels, both good angels and fallen angels, apparently were appearing before God. God turned to the devil and he said, What have you been doing? This is what Satan said. I have been going up and down throughout the whole earth. That's what Satan does. He runs about as a roaring lion, the Bible says, seeking whom he may devour. You know he's got his targets on him? Me and you. Every Christian in this community. God said something a little strange in that. The Bible says he, that God says, Have you considered my servant Job? Now, wait a minute. God's going to turn Satan loose on Job? What a great man he is. Listen to Satan's accusation. Huh, you blessed him so much. That's why he's a good man. He will curse you to your face if you withdraw all those blessings. That's exactly what the devil does today. He will curse you to your face with all the accusations he has going out. What are they doing? Right now, you may be the target of his accusations. I don't know. You know what you're going through right now. Then Satan says, God, if you'll take away all those blessings, he will curse you to your face. Listen to that. He may be saying, listen to that person. Why, that person is dirty, rotten. Still a dirty, rotten sinner, boy. Saved by God's grace. That makes the difference. I'm still a filthy sinner. In fact, my favorite song, I don't believe we've ever sang it here. But I love saying what a beautiful. Uh, when he was on the cross, no, I'm not singing. I, I can't remember right now, but anyway, it's a beautiful song. It's, to me, it's a testimony. What Christ did for us on the cross. Let's go on. He accuses us before God day and night. And listen, Satan also accuses us to us. Did you know that? Satan and his demons come up to those of us who are redeemed, born again. And his demons come up and say, saying things like this Listen, you're no good. You know how rotten you are. You couldn't be justified before God. You know that's silly. Just live your life and enjoy it and be done with it. You're no good. You're a rotten sinner. What are you doing at church today anyway? All of these thoughts that went through your mind last week. How could you really be a Christian? How could you be a call yourself a Christ lover? You're nothing but a filthy, dirty, rotten sinner, the Bible says. That's what he does. He accuses us. But God has said that I forgive you. I have justified you. You are pardoned. Now, there's a wonderful passage of Scripture in Isaiah 33, verse 25. Again, you don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. But Isaiah 33, verse 25, it says, listen to these words. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgression. You know, if I had a piece of paper and desired to, which I don't desire to, I could make you of every sin this last week that I committed. It's hard to fill up a page or two. But that's me. But at the bottom of that page, God has written, no longer accepted. That's God's 
That's how powerful He is. Yes, we'll face trials. You know what God says to Satan? He says, no, I don't. I don't remember how dirty, how rotten, how sinful that preaching used to be. Because the Bible says He has blotted out our transgression and He remembers them no more. I can't forget my past transgressions. But God says, what transgressions? I don't remember them. Oh, what a loving God we serve. Oh, what a God we serve. And yet sometimes we abuse Him and misuse Him in all the things we do. Let's go on with this. Because the Bible says He has blotted out our transgressions and He remembers them no more. So question number two, who can accuse us? Well, Satan tries, and he does, but God forgives us. Oh, isn't that true? Question number three, who can condemn us? Romans 8.34 says, who is he who condemns us? Jesus could, but instead, you know what Jesus is doing? Go back and read it. Romans 8.34. Jesus is praying for us. Every day. Yes, He sees my transgressions. Yes, He sees when my temper blows up. Yes, He sees when I do things I shouldn't do. But the Bible just said that Jesus is praying for me. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, Think about Jesus. Now, let's just admit it. He's probably a pretty busy guy. I mean, he's got a few hundred thousand, a million people to pray for every day anyway. And he takes the time for me? Are you kidding me? He prays for us every day. Probably in my case, many times a day would be my guess. Because I need that. Jesus could, but instead, instead he's praying for us. Jesus Christ, who died, could, could, could condemn us. But instead, He's not condemning us. He's praying for us. Grasp that. Jesus, the Savior of the world, takes the time to pray for me and you. Romans 8.34 again says, It is Christ who died, and furthermore, who is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, and also who makes intercession for us. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that ought to make a Baptist shout. I mean, I like that. What we've seen while we're talking about David dancing before the Lord. We ought to get up and dance before the Lord, but I'm not going to tempt one person. I'm picking on you guys. <laughs> Think about this. Think about if we had an important trial going on in our nation's capital. The Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court would sit as the judge. I can't emphasize of the United States Supreme Court because there's a Supreme Court that's more supreme than that one will ever be. It's called the Court of Jesus Christ. One of these days, we'll face it. One day, the Lord Jesus Christ will will condemn sin and sinners. Revelation 20, my tongue keeps getting tired. Revelation 20 talks about how Jesus himself is seated on the great white throne. It's white because of the purity of Jesus. It's a throne because of the royalty of Jesus. And at that time, Jesus will condemn sin and sinners at that time. But that's not here yet. But for those of us who are in Christ, He is not condemning us. Instead, He's praying for us. Grasp that, because that's important. I'm here to tell you, the Bible says, Who can condemn us? Well, Jesus could. But for those of us who are in Christ, He's not condemning us. He's praying for us. You get that picture that Jesus, I mean, outside of God Himself, the most powerful, important, being there is. And he takes the time to pray for you and me. Come on, are we worth that? But he doesn't stop. But he does it every day. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 said, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're either in Christ or you're out of Christ. 
If you're in Christ, there will never be a, any condemnation come upon your life. But if you're outside of Christ, you're the target of condemnation for yourself. Everyone. It's like a Noah and the ark. When God's judgment came upon the flood, everybody who was in the ark was saved. The ark is a picture of Jesus. Jesus Christ. Everybody who is outside the ark and folks, that's what it'll be one day. If we're not in Christ, we're in trouble. Period. I know each week we have an invitation and we encourage people that does not know Jesus to come forward and we would pray with them. Our deacons are on the side of the side of it in just a few minutes. And we'd pray and hopefully lead you to a decision about Jesus Christ. Because if you're not in Christ one day, You'll be left out completely. You say, I don't know if I believe that. It really doesn't matter. The Bible says it, and that's what it is. He's pleading for us. He's interceding for us. That is a great truth. Satan is like a prosecuting attorney. And no relation to attorneys. Let's don't we have any attorneys there? Don't get mad at me. He's always pointing his finger and saying, Look how bad that person is. Look how evil and how wicked that person is. But the Bible says those who are in Christ, He is our advocate. He is our lawyer. He is our heavenly defense attorney. He is standing there interceding to the Father on our behalf. Now, I'm sure Satan could go to God on a daily basis and say, you don't really think that old boy down at Robinson Avenue Baptist Church is really that good of a guy, do you? In my opinion, you want to say, yes, he does. Not because of what he's done, but because Jesus Christ did save You see, it doesn't matter what we do. What matters is, what does Jesus know about it? This is one more reason why I believe you cannot lose your salvation. Why I believe those who are truly saved are eternally saved. Jesus Christ is in heaven now praying for me right now, and you. I'll just use me as an example. The only way you could get me to lose my salvation is if you get Jesus to stop praying for me. You know that? That's the only way you could do it. The only way you could get me to lose my salvation is for you to get Jesus to stop praying for me. The only way you could get Jesus to stop praying for me is to get into heaven where he's coming from. And then he'll be listening to you. And the only way you can get into heaven to get Jesus to stop praying for me is to be born again in Jesus Christ. You see what I'm saying? Right now, our salvation is not dependent on how good you or I have now. That does mean a thing. What does matter is are you in Christ? You know Christ is your personal Savior. If you don't, in just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And the invitation is that if you're here today without knowing Jesus Christ in a personal way, we would invite you to come forward. And one of our deacons, one of our Sunday school teachers, or somebody will share with you the story of Jesus. That's what it's about. If he's praying for you, nothing and no one can make him stop praying for you. Who can condemn us? Nobody can. Except Jesus. And he's praying for us. That leaves us with the fourth and final question that passes this Christian. Number four. Who can separate us? Who can separate us? Who can separate us from the love of God? That word separation is a Greek word which means to chop off, to cut off. It could be like our word in the English language and amputate. Who can amputate us from the love of God? Nobody. Nobody. If you're in Christ and He loves you and you love Him, there is nothing that can separate you from that love. Paul says an atomic bomb dropped on this building. We'd all go to heaven together. 
first, the answer is nothing or nobody. But then the Apostle Paul gives us several categories of things that we're unable to separate. <coughs> first of all, Jesus' love is not broken by emotional factors. Look at Romans 8.35. He mentions two words, tribulation and hardship. I think we all know what those mean. Probably all of us have been through some of them. I think you know what tribulations are, but it really means inner pressure. You feel like sometimes something inside of you is giving you a lot of problems? Whether it's depression or discouragement or anger or bitterness, sometimes these inner feelings are just a calamity in our life. It just messes up our system. Does God really love me? Does that come to mind? Does God really love me? He doesn't feel like He's loving me right now. Look what I'm going through. Look at the situation I'm going through, and so on and so forth. Well, the Bible says even those inner failings of pressure can't shut off or amputate God's love. Isn't that neat? No matter what you're going through right now, and it may be some serious stuff. I don't know. But it can't stop you from the love of God, whatever it is. You feel like you're all not... You feel like you are not only getting pressure from within, you're getting pressure from without. Man, when's this going to stop? The anxiety, the stress, the things I'm living under. Whether it's financial pressure, pressure on the job, pressure from family members, pressure from friends, the Bible says even the worst of pressure from without that causes you emotional pain cannot amputate you from He uses another category. Jesus' love is not broken by physical factors. Even physical pain, not just emotional pain, but physical pain, cannot amputate us from God's love. Now, I know several people in this building right now that you're sitting there and your back hurts, your neck hurts, your body hurts, and you're going through a lot of pain. Listen to this verse one more time. Romans 8.35 persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, nothing can separate you from the love of God. He didn't say you're not going to hurt sometimes. Why do Christians suffer? I know right now there are many of you who are suffering physically. I mean, when you get up to walk out, you you got to bend over to walk straight. And we're all getting at that point sooner or later. There's a great man of God from Chicago who lived in the 20th century. He's now gone to be with the Lord. His name was A.W. Tozer. If you've never heard of him, great Christian man. Let me tell you something about what he wrote in one of his books, and he called it The Lesson of the Hammer and Nail. I want to share it with you. I thought it was real good when I come across it. Have you ever compared yourself to a nail? When you do, you will shout praise to God for the hammer. The hammer is a useful tool for the nail. If it only had feeling and intelligence, could present another side of the story. For the nail only knows the hammer as an opponent, a brutal, merciless enemy who lives to pound the nail into submission, to beat it down out of sight and to clinch it into place. That is the nail's view of the hammer, and it's inaccurate except for one thing. The nail forgets that both it and the hammer are servants in the hands of some workman. Let the nail but remember that the workman holds the hammer and all the resentment toward it will disappear. The carpenter decides whose head shall it beat upon next. And what a hammer and what hammer shall be used in the beating? This is his sovereign right. When the nail has surrendered to the will of the carpenter, and has gone in, has gotten a little glimpse of his benign plans for its future, it will yield to the hammer without complaint. Some of you may feel like today you've been hammered over the last few weeks. One thing after another, perhaps. You may feel like you're being beaten upon like a hammer would. You may feel like you're the target of a lot of pain. You have to remember that even the pain you suffer will not separate you from the Look what it says in Psalms 42, uh, 44, verse 22. 
It says, Yet for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. We are more than conquerors over all things. But the key is through him that loved us. So here's the emotional pain. There's physical pain. Now look at number three. Jesus' love is not broken by earthly suffering. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created being shall be able to separate us from the love of God. like a hammer driving a nail in. It's going to stay there. And he closes the mark one of the things. Not just earthly things, but eternal things or heavenly factors. He even talks about angels nor demons. But he says in Romans 8, 39, nor any created thing can keep you from God. I don't think anything in the Bible prohibits the idea that there is life on other planets. Say you have life. I say I don't think it's convincing. But that last phrase covers the possibility. Any other created thing, thing. It could be. One of these days we might find out there's little green people living on Mars. I don't know. I don't think it'll make a difference in our world, but nonetheless, it could happen. But this one time, I need for you to stop and put yourselves on the sandal of the audience to whom Paul wrote these words. Because when you go back and look at these words and how Paul wrote them and what was going on in his life at that time, it's a stretcher. They were even more meaningful to those people at that time. Remember, they were in Rome in the first century. Christians were being put to death by the thousands. In fact, one little word that we read in Romans 8 that we just read, that sword, they were put to death by the sword. The last word in verse 35, you probably just read it over it like it's sword. But imagine what they must have felt when they read that word. I've done a little research in different, uh, different Christian ways and so forth. And over the last time I've been taking some seminary courses, were to put to death. The Romans were brutal, ingenious in their methods of execution. Sometimes young teenage Christians were put in a leather bag, the head in a leather bag with cinching around their neck. Inside that bag was poisonous snakes. And scorpions. Paul was saying to all of you who go in the bag with snakes, even that can't separate you from the love of God. Sometimes young Christians were tied to the horns of bulls. And the bulls were let out into an arena to fight each other. With those sharp horns, you can imagine what happened to those Christians in the middle of all that. They were killed easily. Sometimes young Christians had to go through tremendous obstacles. But even that didn't separate them from the love of God. You know what Paul was saying? He was saying to each one of us, listen, even when you tie when they tie you to the horns of bulls, that won't separate you from the love of God. Cast that, folks. There is nothing that will separate you from the love of God. Do you know God this morning in a personal way? Do you know Jesus Christ, our Savior? If you don't, in just a moment, we're going to stand to our feet. In fact, if y'all would go ahead and come up, we'll just start in just a minute. Okay? Go ahead and get ready. This is just a moment. If you read some of the writings in the first century, they spoke of they spoke of virgin martyrs. And for a long time, I wondered, what, what is that? Why were they called virgin martyrs? Then it came back to me when I was taking courses at seminary. We were in a class of early church history, and I had to do a report on a certain subject in a class of early history. I discovered a Tiberius, a Roman leader decreed years before that a virgin could not be put to death because even in that pagan, godless culture, they still revered the virtue of virginity. So some of these young ladies 
had the loan of Jesus Christ was taken, and because it was against the law to crucify them or to execute them, they were since clearly violated before they were taken into the wilderness. Yet in the writings of the early Christian fathers, they were called virgin martyrs. When he was an old man, after he had written the letter of Second Timothy, Paul heard the footsteps one morning in his jail cell. They came, pulled him out. Historical writings tell us that they took him out to the early sunrise, laid him down on a block, and a big Roman soldier lifted a long, heavy sword and brought it down across his mouth. That's not complete. I can imagine the Apostle Paul looked up at that sword, and he must have remembered the words that he wrote when he said, Famine, nakedness, nor even sword can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Did any of you have it that bad? Does anybody in this room who for one half second doubt how much God loves you? The very worst the world can throw at us cannot separate you from the love of God. Let's stand and sing. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, as we come to the end of service. Oh, we're fixing to have an invitation, Lord. I'm not prayer is that there may be somebody in this room that needs to come to you. Lord, our deacons will be on the side of the building. Sunday school teachers, whoever needs meals on us. And they'll be ready and willing to talk to anybody that needs talking to us. I would encourage you, if you've got any questions, or you've got some things you need to talk about, children are going to speak. Nobody's going to share your story, I assure you. That's between you and God. Thank you, Lord, for the time this morning. Go with us through this invitation.